A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to take care of my youngest son's dog for several days. She is a young Labrador retriever. And one day, after being awakened at 5 a.m. for the third consecutive day, I found this article called Dogs Teach Us Many Things. And I'd like to share some of those with you this morning. For example, when loved ones come home, always run to greet them. Avoid biting when a simple growl will do. If what you want lies buried, dig until you find it. Here's another. When you're happy, dance around and wag your entire body. And here's the last one. Never pass up the opportunity to go for a joyride. Now, we all know that taking care of a puppy or a, a younger dog is like taking care of a baby. There are a lot of challenges involved, but there's also the possibility for a lot of joy. And isn't that like life? We have challenges in life, but there's also this possibility to be surprised by joy. For the last few weeks, we've been walking through this book of Philippians and really has, I think, such a timely theme. This idea that, yeah, we live in a world of trouble, but it is possible to experience joy and to experience peace. This week, as I was watching the news, I thought about the fact that our world really has so much trouble. There's trouble out there. You think about the gridlock in Congress because of health care issues, trying to pass legislation. There's the opioid crisis in America affecting so many families. And then there's the, the threat of nuclear confrontation with North Korea. But the reality is the, the trouble isn't just out there someplace. There's trouble in here. The way that we react emotionally and mentally to the pressures and the problems in our lives. I know that many of you are facing problems this morning. It could be a financial problem or a health problem. It could be trouble that you're experiencing at, at work or at school or even at home. And so the question is, you know, in a world that is filled with trouble, trouble out there, trouble in here, is it really possible to consistently experience God's joy and God's peace? And the scripture would say, yes, it is. And so this morning we're going to look again at the book of Philippians. And I want to point out three ways Three principles that help us live with joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. So take a look at your outline this morning because there is the theme of Philippians. It says this, the book of Philippians teaches us the kind of perspective, and that's a key word, the kind of perspective a follower of Christ must have in order to experience joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. Now this morning, we're still going through chapter 2, and I wanted to give you a synopsis of the passage that we're going to look at. And again, this is on your outline. It says this, this passage calls believers, followers of Jesus, to work out their relationship with God and their relationships with each other in a way that displays God's power to a watching world. The sacrifice is involved in working out our salvation. And we'll talk about what that phrase means in just a moment. The sacrifices involved in working out our salvation are never in vain and should be, should be a source of great joy. So let's take a look at these verses and discover what they mean and how to apply them to our lives. This is how the Apostle Paul begins in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And again, church, where is Paul as he writes this letter? Do you remember? Yeah, he's in prison in Rome. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that phrase is just a reminder about how important, how significant this really is. And he says this in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, we know that these Bible verses, in fact, the whole letter of Philippians was written a really long time ago. And so it was written by Paul to the believers in the city of Philippi, but it's also intended by God to speak to our situation in 2017. And let me say this as well. If you're here this morning and you're just checking out Christianity, you wonder what it means to follow Jesus, I am so glad you're here because we're going to walk right through that this morning. We're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and how that can change your life. And so I want to do this. I want to point out three reminders of why we can live with joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. And here's the first. This is on your outline. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a purpose, a God-given purpose to achieve. Now look at verse 12 again. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Now these words were written by the Apostle Paul. He's often called the Apostle. And an Apostle, once again, just refers to somebody sent. Somebody sent on a mission by God. And Paul is sent by God to tell people about Jesus. And he's writing to a group of Christians from his prison cell. Now, Paul has a deep affection for these believers, but he's not sure what's going to happen. It could be that he gets released or he may be executed. And so Paul is saying, look, whether I am present with you or absent from you, I want you to keep working out your relationship with Jesus. This week I was attending a leadership conference. It was one that began a number of years ago by Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. How many of you are familiar with the name of that church? And it's broadcast to different satellite locations. So I was down at Spanish River Church, and Bill Hybels was talking about leadership succession, and he pointed out that every pastor is an interim pastor. You know, some pastors serve their church for a short amount of time, some pastors serve their church for a longer amount of time, but every pastor is an interim pastor because someday that pastor will no longer be present. Now, that can be because God has given the pastor a new assignment, a new place to serve in the kingdom. Um, sometimes it's because a pastor runs into health problems or family issues. Sadly, sometimes there's a moral failure and pastors are no longer qualified to serve. And when it comes to serving in a leadership role in the local church, this is really, really important for us to remember that every leader is an interim leader. Let me say that again. Every leader is an interim leader. Every elder, every deacon, every staff member, every ministry leader is only serving for a season. And we've certainly seen that here in our church. For example, our youth director, John Ainley, served for less than a year. Donna Barrett served in our children's ministry role as director for two years. We've had people serve on our staff for various periods of time or in other ministry positions. We've had people who have served since the church began. I remember when God called me to, to be a pastor. I was a, a firefighter at the time. And my first response to God's call was two words, no way. In fact, and I've shared this before with you, that my conversation with God went something like this. Um, you can't make me become a pastor. Well, famous last words because I remember uh, a night where I just spent all night wrestling and praying with God and when the sun came up, God, by his grace, had given me a surrendered heart. And I said, God, 
Okay, here's the deal. I will go wherever you want me to go, and I will do whatever you want me to do, but can I ask you one thing? And I asked God this. I said, listen, if it's okay with you, could I please serve in the same church for a long time? And one of the reasons I prayed that is because growing up, I had seen pastors go from one church to the next church really often, and it was hard on them, and it was hard on their families, and it was hard on the churches as well. And by God's grace, he has granted that request. But I know that one day, one day, I will no longer be present at BBCC. Now, let me be quick to add, I don't have any immediate plans to no longer be present. But like the Apostle Paul, I, whether I am present with you or absent from you, I want each one of you to follow Jesus with all of your heart and to keep working out your relationship with him. And that's exactly what Paul is telling these Philippian believers. Look at the statement on your outline. It says this, God calls us, God calls believers to work out, not work for our salvation. Now, to clearly understand this, this statement, we have to define at least one very important term, and that term is salvation. I remember before I was a follower of Jesus, somebody asked me, hey, are you saved? And I thought, Saved from what? And of course it begs the question, well, what does God save us from? And, and I discovered reading the Bible that, that I came into this world with a heart that pulled me away from God. A heart that pulled me away from his plan and his purpose. You know, every single one of us is born with that kind of heart. And when we violate God's commands, there's a three-letter word with a big I in the middle. What's this called, church? Yeah, it's called sin. I remember a number of years ago, I was going through something called the Gospel Boot Camp with Pastor David Nicholas, who founded Spanish River Church. And he had a really interesting way of presenting the bad news. And he would say, man, you've got to understand how bad the bad news is before you can appreciate how good the good news is. And he would say this, what do you call it when somebody breaks the law? You say they've committed a what? A crime. And he says that from God's point of view, we are all criminals against a holy God. And you know, when I look in the mirror, the first thought that I have is not, hey, you're a criminal. I think most people see themselves that way. We think of sin as not being that bad. It's, it's, yeah, it's important and we need to deal with it. But we don't see how serious it is from God's point of view because God is completely holy and we're not. And the reason that sin is so serious is that it separates us from a God who is holy. And this God who is holy is also just. And the Bible says that there is a penalty for sinning against a holy God. And what is that penalty, church? Yeah, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And then it quickly adds, but, but, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And church, I never get tired of talking about the good news because this is the center out of which we live, realizing that God loves us so much that he was willing to allow his son to die in our place. And that's what happens. That's the rescue mission that Jesus comes on. He becomes a human being. The Bible says there's one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God existing in three persons, and Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who comes to our world, who lives a perfect life, which qualifies him to be our substitute, and then willingly gives up his life. And on the cross, a remarkable thing happens. God's willing to take our sin, to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And the wrath of God that, that we deserve is poured out on Jesus and he dies for us. But thank God that's not the end of the story because three days later, what happens? 
He takes up his life again. He's raised to life. And Jesus offers us a new life. Now, this is what's so important to realize. I remember when I first started to understand this good news because I decided, hey, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and I am so thankful that you've rescued me from the penalty of my sin. Man, it's great to know that I have a future, that I have hope now. But it gets even better than that. Jesus not only rescues us from the penalty of sin, he rescues us from the power of sin. And that's so important for us to realize because when you become a Christian, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives in you and enables you to become the person that God created you to be. So that word salvation is both an act and a process. It begins when you trust Jesus. The Bible says that we are justified by faith. We were made right with God because of our faith in Jesus. And that's just a one-time thing. God declares us to be righteous. But the rest of our lives, when God adopts us into his family, the rest of our lives is spent becoming more and more like Jesus. And the theological term for that is sanctification. Now, take a look at this statement on your outline. It says, faith plus good works equals salvation. Now, you could call this the salvation equation, and this is the view of the Roman Catholic Church. How many of you have come from Roman Catholic backgrounds? Or maybe you're um, in the Roman Catholic faith right now. This is really the explanation of how a person is made right with God. You've got to have faith in Jesus. You've got to believe he died on the cross. And you have to have some good works to go along with that. And if you have faith in Jesus and you do enough good works, then you're in with God. You are saved. Now, there's a really serious problem with that. How do you ever know when you've done enough good works? I talked to so many people in the Catholic faith and coming out of the Catholic faith who said, you know, I never knew if I was really okay with God. I would try and try, but I never knew how many good works was enough to do. Now, it's very, very interesting from a historical perspective that back in the 1500s, there was something called the Protestant Reformation. And the Reformation was really an attempt to go back to the original teaching of Jesus and the apostles about salvation according to this equation, if you will. That through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are saved, we are rescued by God, and then because of our gratitude for all that God has done for us, that's where the good works come from. And those are two very different ways of looking at this process of salvation. And here's something else that we need to know as well. Working out our salvation involves our relationships with other believers. You know, so many times when people are thinking about what it means, means to become a Christian, the focus is this, it's Jesus and me. It's Jesus and me, but here's what we need to realize. It's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. When you're adopted into God's family, he is your father, but you have brothers and sisters who also have decided to follow Jesus. Now, it's apparent that in this Philippian church, um, the brothers and sisters there were having a hard time getting along because look at this next verse, verse 14. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So what's going on in the church? What do you think? What would you guess? Yeah, there's a lot of grumbling and a lot of arguing. Now, notice his reasoning here. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God. He reminds them, hey, you are children of God, without fault. And notice this, in a warped and crooked generation. Do you think that applies to our generation as well? And then he goes on and he says this, then you will shine. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly 
to the word of life. If you've read much of the Old Testament, you know there are a group of people that complain and complain and grumble. And who would that be? Yeah, the Israelites. I mean, God could just never do enough for them. They're always grumbling and complaining. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, don't be like them. What do you think God's telling us today? Don't be like them. I remember a story that I read one time, and it was both funny and sad at the same time. It was about a pastor, and he was in his office one day, and there was a man who showed up from OSHA. You know about OSHA? It's a federal agency, Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Anyway, this guy shows up from OSHA and says, Pastor, I need to speak with you. And the pastor says, well, can I help you? He says, yeah, um, somebody has filed a formal complaint with OSHA against your church. Pastor said, well, what was the nature of the complaint? And the guy from OSHA said, well, they, they filed a, a complaint um, that the music is too loud. <laughs> Pastor thought to himself, man, that's kind of strange. And he started thinking, well, who could have done that? And he thought, well, maybe somebody in the community, you know, thought that the music on Sunday was too loud or maybe, and, and then he said to the OSHA guy, he says, well, who filed the complaint? And the man from OSHA said, one of your church members called my office, and I feel really bad about this because I've never had to go bust a church before, but um, they said that the music was just too loud. Now, if you think about it, that's a sad story in the sense that the way that we behave as members of God's family affects a watching world. Take a look at this statement on your outline. It says this, How we live in relationship with God and other believers affects our witness to an unbelieving world. And look at verse 14 again. This is something we really want to drive home this morning. Do how much? What's the word? Everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become pure, blameless and pure, children of God, without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then, as you do this, you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And by the way, if you think the music on Sunday morning is too loud... Don't call OSHA, please, okay? And here's the deal. If there are things that we need to work out, let's do that here as we honor God by working out conflict the way the Bible directs us to. Okay, quick review. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the reasons that you can live in this world filled with trouble, with joy and peace, is because you have a what? A purpose to achieve. Here's the second thing. Because you have a power. As a follower of Jesus, you have a power to receive. Now look at verse 13. I think this is one of the most significant verses in the entire letter that Paul wrote. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we have this purpose to achieve, but the power to achieve it comes from where? Where does it come from? It comes from, from God. Now let me ask you this. How many of you have something about your, yourself that you need to change? And every hand should go up. I mean, there are a lot of things about me that I want to change. The question is, how does that happen? And when you talk to different people, there are all kinds of ideas about how change happens when you're a Christian. So I want to examine a couple of these and just point out some distinctions. So here's one picture of how change happens. And if I were to summarize this, I would give you the statement, if it's to be, it's up to me. Because you think about it, you're just 
and you're paddling as hard as you can against the currents of culture. You're trying really hard to change. You're trying to overcome an addiction. You're trying hard to forgive that person who hurt you. And you think, man, if I just try harder, I'll get it done. Because if it's to be, it's up to me. Now, on the other end of the continuum is this perspective. And you could summarize it this way. Hey, 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 just chill out. Let go and let God. So God, if you want to change me, go right ahead, but don't expect me to do anything. Right? I'm just kind of lazily floating down the river here. Let me show you what I believe is a biblical illustration of change. Now let me ask you this. Where is the power coming from in this picture? The power to ski. Okay, it's not even there. It's invisible, right? But there's got to be a boat. There's got to be a power that this person is connected to. Now, the skier, does he have to exert any effort to be a good skier? Does he need to develop skill? Yeah. See, this is a picture of the partnership that we have with God's Spirit. He provides the power, but we have to make every effort to live a life that honors God. And notice this. Just take a look at these statements. The Holy Spirit gives us the desire and the ability to live a life that pleases God by obeying His commands. But notice this, we are to make every effort to obey God, realizing that any success we have in doing so comes from God. We talked about it last week, this idea of spiritual habits, that there are things that we can do that will help us become more like Jesus, things like worship, Bible study, prayer, giving, serving. But we need God's power in order to change, even though we're trying to, to do these things. Now church, I realized this morning that for some of us, we need God's power to get going. If we're going to be honest, we'd say, you know, I don't consistently read the Bible. I don't really pray that often. I need to develop those habits in my life. So I need the power to get going and do that. And some of us may need the power to stop doing things that we know hurt us and hurt others, things that displease God. But we can't stop, not in our own strength. So we need God's power to do that. And then there's a third category, people who would say, okay, I get it, I need God's power, but I need God's power this morning to keep going. Because I've been trying to live a life that honors God. I've been trying to do the right thing, but I'm tired. I'm tired of serving. I'm tired of putting the needs of others ahead of my own needs. In fact, truth be told, I'm just tired of living. Let me say, if that's your heart this morning, I would encourage you to do this, to hit your knees and say, God, honestly, I need you to give me the desire and the ability to keep going because I can't. And maybe as you look at the road ahead of you, it just looks too long and too hard and you don't even feel like you can take one more step. Ask God, God, please give me the desire and the ability to take one more step and then pray for another step and another step. And then as you look back, you realize, wow, God's brought me a lot further than I ever would have thought. Because church, it is true that God is at work giving us the desire and the ability to accomplish his purpose. So let's review. In order to live with joy and peace in this troubled world, first of all, we have a power to what? I'm sorry, a purpose to achieve. You can look at your notes, it's okay. A purpose to achieve, what's the second thing? We have a power to receive, and thirdly, we have a promise to believe. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a promise to believe. 
Now, we're gonna go over verse 14 one more time just to make sure we really get it in our heads and our hearts. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of truth. And notice what Paul writes next. He says this, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And here's the principle that I want you to see. This is on your outline. Obeying God's commands and investing your life in others is never in vain. And I hope that deeply encourages you this morning. I have a desk at home where I often work on my messages and I have a, a Bible verse on my desk. It's 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, And I keep it there because at times I get tired, really tired. At times I get discouraged. At times I'm investing my life in somebody and it doesn't seem to be making a bit of difference. And I look at that verse and it says this, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. And Christian, this morning, I want to encourage you with that verse because there are times when we're, we're tired, we're discouraged, we're trying to do the right thing and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. I was talking with a parent who was talking about their, their child and, and how they were investing their life in their child and it didn't seem to matter because their child was continuing to make bad choices. And I said, listen, don't you give up. You keep praying. You keep investing your life. Stand firm. Let nothing move you and leave the outcome in God's hands. There's one more thing that I want you to see this morning. The last thing on your outline that obeying God's commands and investing your life in others leads to, what's the word? Joy. Leads to joy. And Paul writes this. He says, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And he says this in verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What's Paul saying? Look, I might die when I appear before Caesar. But I'm doing what God called me to do. He said, Paul, you go tell people the bad news and the good news about Jesus Christ. And Paul essentially says, I'm okay with that. In fact, I can rejoice. Why can Paul rejoice? Because he looks at these Philippian believers and he realizes they have given their hearts to Jesus. And all of his suffering and all of his sacrifices are worth it. Church, I know this looking back over the the 20 plus years that God's allowed me to serve here as your pastor. My leadership role here has been one of the most challenging things in my entire life. It has also been something that has been an opportunity for the greatest joy in my life as well. And I want you to know that. Being able to serve you and teach you and love you is a gift from God. And my heart for you is this, that as you work out your relationship with Jesus, as you work out your relationships with each other, that you will experience God's joy in that process. So let me do this. Let me encourage you in the same way that Paul encouraged 
the Philippian believers. Work out your salvation. If you're a Christian this morning, continue working out your relationship with Jesus. And realize this, two of the things that God uses the most to shape our hearts and our character are truth and trouble. And they often just go hand in hand. It's when we go through trouble that we experience the truth and we have an opportunity to change. And let me say this, if you've never trusted Jesus, I just want to encourage you to make the the most courageous decision you can ever make, and that is to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I know you died on the cross for my sins and I wanna follow you. God always, always hears and honors that prayer. And church, listen, when it comes to working out our salvation, I want you to work on your relationship with Jesus, but work on your relationships with other people. If you're married this morning, can I just strongly encourage you to work out your relationship with your husband or your wife and not give up? To stand firm, to not let anything move you to to honor that commitment? And listen, parents, I just wanna encourage you, yeah, there's, there's trouble sometimes between parents and children, and there's trouble in families. We all know that there's conflict. But listen, don't give up. Continue to work out those relationships, trusting God to give you the desire, the ability, the wisdom, the strength, whatever you need to do that. And finally, church family, let's do this. Let's make a commitment to unity in our church by being willing to resolve conflict, by going to each other and loving each other and forgiving each other. Because as we do that, what Paul wrote about the Philippian believers will be true of us as well. He says, we will shine like stars in the sky as we hold firmly to the word of truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this word of truth that that changes us, that changes everything. God, thank you that you've given us a purpose to achieve in this world. And you've given us the power, God, that we need. So we need to receive that. And I pray that we will. God, you've given us a promise to believe that you're with us and that you're for us and that you'll continue working on us, God. And I pray, Lord, this morning for the person who who right now understands the bad news and the good news. I pray for the person who wants to make that life-changing decision to trust Jesus, that in their heart right now, they would just say something like this to you, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And God, I don't understand all that this means, but I just want to tell you, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life. Father, so many of us here have have come to that point in our lives. We've crossed the line of faith. I pray that week after week, many people in this place will cross the line of faith and give their lives to Jesus. And Father, I pray this too, um, that you would shape the things that we believe. Because we know that it's in believing the good news about Jesus that we just embark on a new adventure, a new kind of life is available to us. And God, we know this, that what we believe determines how we behave in this world. Lord, if we believe that you're in charge, if we believe that you love us, then we can have peace and we can have joy in this world that is filled with trouble. So God, here's my, here's my prayer right now. As we stand to our feet, as we sing this last song, may this be a declaration of what we believe and how we will behave in this world. Through the grace of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Let's stand and sing together.